Hello. Hello. God damn, not again. Again. Not again. What? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm desperately looking around for a skit. Mmm. I'm desperately looking around for a bit. Have you not got one, like, you know, down the side of the sofa or in your back pocket, you know? Uh, did, did you did you store a spare one in your in your purse somewhere, like, behind the uh, bank cards or whatever? Uh, I'm, I'm having a look now. Um, that's just a frog. I've done that one. I've done the wooden frog. Oh, did I tell you about my frog? You did tell us about your frog. Oh, did I tell you about the frog and the frog yeah. luck? Yeah. God damn it! Yeah. I mean, I might have a place for us to start this week that isn't video games. So long as I've it isn't some, video games, I've got some. I've got some. Some. Some shocking news. Okay. An era has ended. Oh. Is this about the the magic? You both remember Bethia, right? My lady, I get daily emails from about my my role in the cosmology of the universe. Yes, Laura, I think about her every day. Yeah, and and look for the last like nearly two years, she's thought about me every day. Yeah. it's been a it's been a it's been a very special relationship that's been ongoing. But all good things must come to an end, and I'm no longer receiving emails from Bethia. Oh no, my my weird lady that tells me I'm the reincarnation of the Archangel Michael and the Moon Goddess, and uh, that the Pope wants to send me a special medallion. It's it's just stopped. It's just stopped. Yeah. I hope she's okay. Yeah. I, I hope so too. Let me see. When was the? I, I, I'm only bringing it up now. But when was the last time I received one of her emails? It was. It was in the middle of February. So it's oh. been it's been about a month. Oh wow! She's just she's just dropped off the radar. Wow. I don't think she's fallen into my spam. I'm going to double check there just yeah. in case. But I think she's. Yeah, I don't know what to email her back though. Like, how do I? How do I sum up? We'll just be like, "Are you okay? I've been, you know, yeah. enjoying your contact for yeah, you know, such a regular you know, basis for so long." I I know that the only time I responded to your email was to tell you that I've luckily managed to find one of your uh, moon crystals uh, that didn't require you to uh, charge very expensive shipping prices to get it to me, and that that like the universe just sort of brought one of those identical moon crystals into my life. But maybe I should have, you know, maybe it was too much of a one way street. I wasn't, I wasn't giving enough back. Yeah, I, mean, I, you know, you know, relationships are. Maintenance, you know, I don't consider them yeah. work. If if you like someone, you get on with them. I don't uh, like that. But there is maintenance there. There is being attentive, and it's not a it's one-way one of those, street. It's it's one of those things where I think sometimes you just don't know what 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 you've got until it's gone. Yeah. Um, but you did just remind me, actually. Um, I did have a bit this week. Oh, good. I completely forgot it. Thank God. I've been receiving these emails from someone called Bethy, and get this. Right? <laughs> She's telling me I'm a moon princess. Oh, no, no, no. That's. No, no, no. You, no that, look, I'll believe you when you show me a Bethy email, but I've. I, I've yet to. I've yet to see anyone else that I know personally who's had one. I mean, I'm just. Yeah, for me. I mean, they were never for me. They were never actually addressed to me. What was the name they were always addressed to? Let me f- remind myself. I don't remember what she kept calling me. She was convinced I w- my name was Caroline for a while. <laughs> mm. Uh, yeah. Um, you know what it... The, the last email she sent me was a happy birthday 
email sent several months away from, not only several months away from my actual birthday, but several months away from the fake birthday she thought I had. Wow. There's a difference clearly between your birthday and, and your soul's birthday, right? Mm. Moon magic is inscrutable. You could have had many, many birthdays. I, I do want to read this email though, because like for all of the emails where like every email other than this one she sent was like, Attempt to get you to buy something. That was always the undercurrent of the thing. Her final email is weirdly just... It reads like a sincere, genuine email from a friend and not uh email from a scammer trying to get me to send money somewhere I shouldn't. Right. It simply says, I feel so fortunate to have this opportunity to work with you, and oh. I send you my warmest wishes for a wonderful birthday. May you celebrate it doing the things that are special to you. Happy birthday. I look forward to helping you take advantage of all the wonderful things that are coming your way in the year ahead. Oh, no, you see... They, right, they, and that's the last I hear from her. Oh, see, that's got a that. Oh, that's a little uh, that hits me like in the mm, heart there's... because they are reaching out on a very personal level. This isn't about the business. This isn't about the you know the moon goddess stuff. They feel like they have developed a relationship, and you have given nothing back, Laura. Well, emotionally, you know, they've parted the thighs. I and, and you didn't <laughs> feed the pony, Laura. Look, I. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do what I do to what what I can do to try and, and repair this, but mm-hmm. if this is the end, I do at some point wanna try and consolidate the last two years of these emails into something because it's bloody fascinating. Oh absolutely. There there is another uh, book in that for you. I I genuinely I genuinely like love the idea of writing a piece of fiction okay, that he... is based is based on a world in which I very sincerely follow all the steps uh, in, in <laughs> Bethia's emails. I think there is a wonderful story there. I think you should contact Bethia and offer to publish the emails as a book. I I mean, look. If it's an opportunity for her to potentially make money, she might email back. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so yeah. That's 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 <laughs> there. You go. There's some bullshit to start the episode. Uh, welcome to Podquisition. We talk about video games when we're not talking about women sending us uh, cryptic clues about our future. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm still now. I'm totally fixated on this idea of a collab, a collab between you two on a on a no, new no, no. work. Tr- trust me, I have been mulling this over for a while. Yeah. And and. I mean, the... I have a book in the works at the moment, but like this might be the next thing I try and hash out an idea for. The meta element, like the backstory to it alone, is very sellable. Mm-hmm. This right. this scam email has constructed yeah. this universe for me, um, and I've turned it into a book. Like that is, yeah, I I genuinely think there is a sellable pitch in here that I could get yeah. picked up. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. um, but there you go. There's a little preview of what I might be working on later this year. Who knows? Nice. Um, who's who's played a video game this week? Who's done one of them? Uh, I mean, we've all played video games in a in a way, haven't we? In a way, yeah. In a way. In a way. Um, I think Steph should probably go first. Actually, I think Laura yeah. should probably go well, first, just because Laura's oh, well, probably just played edged. more than either of us. But I mean. I mean, some of, some of these I can I can crack through real quick, but I've been playing more stuff on the playdate this week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, must be nice. Must be nice, right? I'd have gotten higher than that, but I've uh, <laughs> I lost my voice over the weekend, and it's uh, clawing itself. Must be <laughs> nice. 
Oh, God, I hurt myself doing that. Like, not my throat, just my fucking ears and (laughs) patience for my own bullshit. Uh, So I'm going to rattle through a couple of quick things that I played on the Playdate this week and then get into some of the slightly meteor experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, I played a game called Dr. Panic. It's just Dr. Mario ported to the Playdate. It's just Dr. Mario. Uh, 2048, it's that game that was on mobile, but now it's on Playdate, where you got to match the numbers and make them... Ah, two numbers the same, they combine, they're a bigger number now. Uh, there is a silly little game called France Horn, and the best way I can describe it is, what if Trombone Champ had no actual gameplay, um, and was just a silly goof? Okay. You, you have a French horn, and you can hold down a button to make the French horn make noise, and by rotating the crank on the playdate, you make the French horn spiral longer and longer and longer to comedic extents, uh, making different pitches of noise as it spirals larger or smaller. Huh. It's just a silly sound-making tool with a very ridiculous visual. My uh, idea it... for a, a video <laughs> game called France Horn yeah. would be, it would be a, uh, uh, an auto-runner set in a military conflict between a brass section and a string section in an orchestra. <laughs> and yeah. all of the other, you know, brass instruments get there to the front line and are ready to fight. And then the, the France horn takes one look at the oncoming st- strings and starts running. And that's the game. <laughs> I mean, there'd be more more of a game there than what this is. It is... A few seconds of silly goof, and that's about it. Because the um, French, the French are surrender monkeys. That's. I mean, that, that is that was that the, is. The, the, the jingoistic yeah. goof yeah. you yes. were presenting. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be um, appreciated by two uh, British people such as yourself, even though they are our <laughs> longest ally here in the United States. Uh, and the French we... resistance was uh, very, very active. Bunch of cowards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the the, the stereo. I've I, I don't know of a stereotype that feels more like completely like inaccurate with any of my experience. The non-combative French people. Yeah, yeah, no, they they are like far more of a uh, like protesty, like you know, we're not going to oh, come God, down yeah. without a fight force than uh, they're ever given credit for. I mean, like. Look how quickly America rolled over for the Nazis. Like, well, before before anything even started, yeah, and even and straight up through to the end. Like, we had, um, oh God, was it? It was Dulles uh, trying to negotiate with Hitler behind the scenes to bring a peaceful end to the war. Like, right up through the bombing of Berlin. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I do want to talk about a slightly more in depth. Playdate game. Mm. And this was one I mentioned very briefly last week called Bloom. And this was that one that, like, I, I mentioned last week. This was the most expensive Playdate game I had purchased. It was about $10. And the idea of it seemed to be that you were, like, playing through uh, someone's life a little bit at a time and could only play so much of the story per day. And oh, yeah. I talked about that being a very ambitious choice for a game to make that's charging $10 and is probably the most expensive Playdate game available, and you buy it, and on that first day you start playing it, like, maybe ten minutes in, you're like, I can't play any more of it. Yeah. So I was like, I'm very curious how I'm going to feel about this, like, a week from now. And I feel really positive about it. Um, and I'm glad I gave it the 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 time to give it a play, and it's one of those things that, like, 
I'm really glad it's getting good, like, getting ranked as one of the better Playdate games to check out, because without that kind of recommendation, I would not have felt confident in it. Um, so now that I've played, like, a week of it, here's the, the general gist of how it plays. Um, every day, uh, every real-world day, there is a limited number of things to do, as you basically play as this young girl who has dropped out of, uh, dropped out of college to try and start a flower shop. Um, she is passionate about, about flowers and gardening and, and that sort of thing. She does not care about the academic career her parents tried to push her into. I get the impression she's also gay, and she's not told her parents that she's dropped out of college, or I'm the, the vibe I'm getting is also that she's gay, she hasn't told them. And you, on a mechanical level, all you're really doing uh, on each in-game day is doing doing the crank to do the elevator to go up to the rooftop garden, um, pla- planting some plants, which is like, okay, what do I have money for today from what's available? Maybe check the uh, little in-game weather report to see what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Uh, water your plants, dig up any that are ready for sale, and you just get paid instantly for that. Uh, and then go back down into your little little apartment above the flower shop and just engage with text messages and get little snippets of story told through very short conversations with a handful of people, um, be it uh, your partner, a friend that you'd sort of lost touch with a little while ago, your parents, uh, and it's just this little slice of storytelling told through very real feeling conversations that uh, are definitely written in such a way that you can sort of see the personality of this main character changing how she presents herself depending on how she who she's talking to. Um, the story is like has been really engaging, and I've been really interested in following it. Um, it is so far not a game that I have found at all challenging. Um, there's a lot of ways that a game like this could put pressure on you as a player, be it if you don't log in today, you won't, uh, you'll miss out on something, or you've got to pay rent within X number of days, and that means you've got to be playing regularly to, to hit that milestone. There's none of that. Yeah. You, you can, uh, it's, it's flavoured as, as paying, paying your rent, but it's essentially, whenever you get around to having enough money, you can pay to upgrade your rooftop garden, uh, get a bit more of the trash cleared off it, and, be able to plant more things at a time. Um, there is no time pressure on that. If you don't play the game in a real-world day, um, some of those text messages will just sort of stack up. So if you come play, come back and play a couple of days later, you might get a couple of days of texts until you uh, per day until you catch up to sort of get you back up to speed. Um, there is absolutely zero pressure to it, and it's just a nice, very calming gameplay loop to maybe pop five to ten minutes maybe at most into in a day that feels very familiar. Um, it, it's it got that same sort of vibe as when I was playing Animal... That point in an Animal Crossing where there isn't pressure to, uh, to be upgrading your house, but you're logging in daily just to, like, go pick your flowers and, uh, you know, ch- check check on the, the rocks that have money in them but with a little bit of narrative to sort of carry that through uh, as your sort of reward for uh, engaging with it that way. It is really charming. 
and I'm very much feeling a lot more positive about it than I was last week. I'm very curious, like, how much content there is in here and how long this will run, but so far, I really enjoy it. Uh, so that that was Bloom. Mm. Uh, what about you both? Either of you played anything this week? Well, I played a fairly big thing. Um, yeah. In terms of, like, profile, you know, high-profile uh, thing. Because mm. um, I didn't know it was happening. I was surprised. Um, but a demo for the Resident Evil yes. 4 remake came out. I also played this. Yeah. Ah, okay. Cool, 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 cool. Um, oh, we could have a discussion about that then, can't I we? I suppose we could. Look at, look at Brilliant. That. Some, some, oh. some great chat. Um, it's all right, isn't it? It's, it's fine. It, it, it sure is Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Um, I will say I, I do appreciate the environment um, a lot. The environmental detail. Because mm-hmm. um, the gameplay is largely the same there are some differences and i i can't say i necessarily enjoy them yet you know Mm. it's it's early days i do want to replay it again um but in terms of like that in the original game you go into that house and it's there's moldy food but it's otherwise a, a, a fairly rundown but kind of nicely furnished, if I remember right, shack. Um, hmm. You go in and eventually find a, a, one of the um, enemies. Um, whereas this, like, you go in and it's like, there's some Blair Witch shit in there and really dark t- uh, corridors and shit. Like, it's really um, so much more detailed and so much more... I I don't think it's particularly scary scary but then the original wasn't either it was more tense than scary Mm. um but i do it's got a real atmosphere to it the the opening sequence in the original did not quite have um Mm. so i do like that i i really like the environmental design that i've seen so far in terms of the gameplay first of all i don't like that the red laser isn't there i miss the gun (laughs) laser it's, a, it's someone that's shit at aiming, I appreciate telling me exactly if I'm pointing it right. Yeah, like, you know, the reticles are... The reticles fine. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's, not the, it's not the laser, though. It's not the same. No, it's it's not the same. Um, even if uh, some of its benefit is more stylistic than anything else, it, it was a really nice style. And... I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but the the enemies, who's Las Plagas, that was that's the name, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't seem as responsive to my gunfire as they were in the original. They soak a lot. Yeah. In this, I've it, noticed, and maybe I'm forgetting how many hits it would take to take one down, but they really felt spongy. They weren't tanks. No. They took a, a bit of a pummel. But I think the main difference isn't even so much the damage soak as the the lack of flinching, the lack of... Yes. They, you know, mm. in the original, if you shot one in the leg, they'd stumble yes. and be ready to be kicked hilariously in the face. Here, mm. it, it it's not as 
they're not as responsive to the the damage. It seems to only uh, be yeah. headshots that I can get a stagger on. That was my experience as well. Headshot was the only thing I was getting staggers from. Yeah, and I'm sure that you know, for some people, there might be a benefit in that they're more threatening or whatever. Sure. But what I love about Resident Evil Four is that fighting those enemies is, for want of a better word, fun. You know, yeah. the way in which they would respond if you shot their arm or their head or their leg or the weapon in their hand, like stuff like that made the fights not necessarily super challenging, but fun and interesting and engaging. Yes. Whereas tank like enemies just wandering up to you, it's not as I'm not as as into that. I, it doesn't catch my attention because at that point, it's I I can play zombie shooters. You know, there's plenty of them about. Um, yeah. I also, as much as I liked the environmental detail leading up to the village bit, mm-hmm. and again, I'm going to have to replay it because to get familiar with the area but i remember in the original you know running in and out of houses running upstairs getting on rooftops and kicking ladders and at least in my first playthrough of the demo i didn't get any of that i didn't see it um which might actually i don't know if it's all there and i just missed it but that might actually speak to a drawback of the amount of visual detail there is in that i couldn't say shit um see now i was also in that kind of position too because i i also remember i mean i played the village portion of uh resident evil 4 dozens and dozens of times it's great, over the yeah. years. Mm. it's a fantastic little set piece um and Likewise, running through the buildings and across the rooftops, those are all strategic things that are very sort of linked in my memory as being parts of routes that I would run to do this. And it has been a very long time, so certainly I have forgotten the routes, but I did feel like there should be more of that popping out in my visual, and it it wasn't. Now, I did um, at one point go into the bell tower and climb that. Yeah. And, uh, but then I, I seem to remember being able to find an exit point at the top previously, and I couldn't get out anywhere there. And then they knocked down the platform and I fell. Right. Which, so I, I that part I like, but. I don't recall an exit point. I could be wrong. I, I sh- when I replay it, I really should uh, just have a little mosey up the tower because I did forget to do that bit. Um, yeah. But I've played Resident Evil 4 so many times. And despite my, um, lacking uh, media memory because uh, you know my memory issues i know that village area i know that mm. set piece mm-hmm. and i don't know if again i don't know if it's there or not um and maybe just the the visual detail threw me off and made it all feel unfamiliar but i just it was not the same you could say it was more tense, harder, and possibly scarier, but it was not the same. It wasn't as fun. I think uh, the exterior geography is exactly as I remember it. It's the interiors that... I, and yes. I just didn't really... Hmm. I, I was so overwhelmed because of how tanky the enemies are 
that I didn't really yes. have the exploration opportunity that I would have liked on the one playthrough that I did. Same. That's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. It's one of those things where because it cuts off so instantly after the, the clock tower starts ringing... Mm-hmm. That would usually be your moment where you have that respite to go. I'm gonna have a look around. With yeah, a little you can get pressure. the bearings. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then yeah. and then on replay, you know where those things are. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would have liked them to have extended the demo a little bit, just a little bit beyond that, so that you could have an opportunity to explore that space a little bit more. Uh, it's a solid demo. What do you think of the stealth? Because that's new, isn't it? Um, yeah, so the crouching stuff is new. Yeah. And I will say this, uh, there's, when you get into the the, the initial village, if you go up sort of the left-hand side, Mm -hmm. um, like behind the buildings, Mm -hmm. there's that woman, uh, sort of near the chicken. Yeah. That She's got a pitchfork. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in the original game never being able to just go and quiet. I like maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember ever being able to go and just quietly kill her without raising an alarm and like without people knowing. And you can do that here. Yeah. And that was nice. I really appreciated being able to sort of crouch, sneak up, do the stealth kill. I'm not a fan of the knife durability. That wasn't the case before, was it? No, I don't there remember was no knife durability. durability. No. This is a case where I do not like the knife durability. Yeah, fuck that. Uh, because I, Resident Evil 4, at least for me, a big part of why the knife works is even if I run out of ammo, I've always got something. Mm-hmm. It is a weapon that I am at like increased risk of taking damage for using. It is not ideal, but I always have something. Well, and that had historically been the role of the combat knife in Resident yeah. Evil through this game. It's after this point exactly. that it gets a little different. Yeah, but like in in this moment, I was like, I don't like that change there, but I do like that I can sneak up and knife someone without being noticed. Yeah. I think the durability of the 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 weapon durability, the the knife durability, and the beefed up enemies and everything, and mm. and even you know the stuff I praised, like the environmental detail that's been added and and the mood, it does suggest that. The aim of this remake is to be scary, which is not necessarily what Resident yeah. Evil 4 was. I mean, I compare... it's fine, I'll just stick it to easy. <laughs> <laughs> I um, most readily compare Resident Evil 4 to Metal Gear Solid. Um, mm-hmm. Not just because that. there's codec calls. No. Um, <laughs> but it's camp. It's camp, it's silly, it's a little more self-aware about it than Metal Gear Solid, but I... I wouldn't be surprised if I was um, told that Resident Evil 4 took cues from Metal Gear Solid. You know, Mm. Leon is constantly hitting on his radio control, very much like Solid Snake. The radio control conversations are codec calls. Um, It goes into all sorts of bizarre plot details um, and characters and dialogue. Like, it's, it's... and it's an embrace of the B movie um, charm that the original Resident Evil had, except it's on purpose this time, and it actually works really well. I mean, um, it even has uh, like the small scale conflict with world shattering implications yeah, oh, element yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the the fight with fucking Krauser, who's just I'm an American like you. Mm-hmm. Like it's just <laughs> brilliant. Just I don't know what it is about that line, but it is beautiful um just like it's 
political, but not saying or doing anything with it. Um, and and I just appreciate the banality of that. Uh, but yeah, like Resident Evil Four is hor- the original is horror themed. It's not it's not really a horror game. I mean, it's in that bracket. But if I were to uh, order the genres it covers in terms of uh, prevalence, I'd put action way first. Um, it's an action action game with a horror overlay and i like mm. that uh, and one thing i like about certainly the modern resident evils is the variety we have the the um mainline titles going in that first person uh overly camp sort of direction we have the the remakes um two and three that have that um over the shoulder sort of uh combat and stuff that's a bit more serious and resident evil 4 ought the remake ought to be the bridging gap between those two really because mm. it's got that camp and it's got the kind of gameplay that has informed the two and three remakes um but i i'm not entirely sure that I'm won over by the idea of them making it more of a a pure horror experience because that's not why I enjoy and and I love horror games like it's my favorite genre but that's not why I play Resident Evil 4. I play Resident Evil 4 because it's funny and it's stupid and uh the the action is is really engaging um so I'd be a little disappointed if if the aim is to just try and be scary, especially in the way the demo suggests it will be. That said, they did keep the bingo line, and I did they mark did. out for it. I was and- on the edge of my seat, like, say it, say it, this is going to determine whether or not this demo, this game is on the right track. This is going to be the one. And then he said the line. Yeah. 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 That line was the one thing that gave me some hope of like, okay, they they know that the the camp is important to how people feel about this yeah. game. And I'm like, I, I've not seen enough to know how I'm going to feel about it, but they know. They know how to do it. Because eight and yeah, seven. they know how to do it and they know what we want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to play it a couple more times. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold yet. You know, in yeah. the way that I was kind of sold on Resident Evil 3 remake mm. right away. I'll say I'm confident it will be good. It will have a baseline quality. Yeah. And Capcom, in terms of big publishers, I've I've said it many times, Capcom's track record is impressive as yeah. fuck. Yeah. The consistency of the quality of their games is amazing. Yeah. They, they really haven't disappointed in a mm-hmm. little while. And... I'm willing to give them a certain degree of benefit of the doubt there. And I also recognise that my not being sold as instantly with this as I have been with some of the past remakes is at least for me because 4 is my favourite Resident Evil. And it is one of the ones that I have so few complaints about and that I think does so many things Mm. so well that I am naturally going to be more cautious and critical of changes than I would be with the remakes of games that I had more problems with or that were not such key yeah. games. For Resident me. Evil 4 is one of those games you can look at and think, wow, it just nailed it. It nailed it. It is exactly what it went for. 
and mm-hmm. even games you could say are better you could say didn't realize a vision quite as purely as resident evil 4 did yeah i i'm i mm. bought that game on my god i think i've bought it half a dozen times mm. just in various yeah. editions and platforms you know the the playstation the gamecube the wii mm-hmm. um pc I've, I have bought well. that game many many times and never been disappointed in the decision to make that purchase mm-hmm. So uh, I, I will wind up getting Resident Evil 4 Remake. Um, I just, I hope they can make me love it as much as I've enjoyed every other release yeah. up to this point. I, I think the real test as to whether the tone is what I'm hoping for is when we see Salazar. When we see mm-hmm. Ramon Salazar, mm-hmm. like, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, what about you, comrade? You played anything this week? Well, I mean, apart from that, I just, I played a little bit more of that Dome Keeper, which, um, yeah, I, I feel like I want more, but I also don't know that I need more in it, and it's, it's a fun game, and I'm enjoying it, and I find it very casual and, and relaxing despite the intensity that it's, you know, supposed to have. Um, or, you know, would, would portray, I guess. I, I do find it to be a pretty chill, fun thing. Um, I started playing the prestige mode, which is, um, it's a score-based mode in the game, where instead of having to find a specific item somewhere in the environment, you're just trying to ship as many resources off the planet as you can and escape alive. And so... What this means is that the resources that you're digging up, if you want to get a high score, you have to sacrifice some of your upgrades. You're not going to have as many resources available to you to invest in better defenses or faster movement or things like that because you're trying to ship them off the planet. But for everything that you ship off the planet, you get bonus points applied to uh, the end of each combat wave. And then that score is tabulated when you're either destroyed or you can escape the planet with a certain number of resources after progressing a bit down one of the uh, upgrade trees. It's a neat uh, mode for it. I'm not good at it, but it does have leaderboards, which, you know, that's a a fun thing. I guess they're doing like some sort of seasons of play of that. And it's curious. It's it's fun. I'm not ever going to compete I'm not going to feel like that's something I need to compete in, but as a gameplay mode, it, it's pretty interesting, and I like it. The other thing I I started doing in there is um, experimenting with the other type of dome weapon. When you start the game, you have a laser, and it's a steady beam that you pull the trigger, and it fires this laser that goes the full length of the screen from the point on your dome where it is in a in a straight line. And as you upgrade it, it, you know, you can get it to move faster along the dome, increase its power, but at a cost to speed while it's firing, that sort of stuff. Um, the second dome that you can unlock is a sword. So this is, is a blade that sticks up off of your dome and you slide it back and forth along it. And it will do damage on contact with enemies based on the speed with which it is being swung, which is... 
neat and a very, very different, mm. like a, a very different way of approaching combat because the laser is effectively stationary and the sword is constant movement if you're operating at close range. The blade can also fire off of it and you have guidance of the blade while it's in air so that you can deal with opponents at range. Um, it's also really useful for eliminating many, you know, some of the smaller enemies that come in large groups uh, that don't take a lot of damage, but you know need to be eliminated fairly quickly. It's a good way for doing that. Oddly, the firing at range thing feels more useful and powerful. Hmm. And I think that it's in part because you fire it out and it has to reel back in and then there's a delay time uh, while it recharges before you can fire it again. Um, and those things are upgradable and so forth. But I, I think that delay and that rate of fire, it just has a internal compensation for having to deal with the ranged threats because if they start to get built up, you're going to be dealing with them for a while just in order to get them all eliminated. Whereas if you can make sure that Right out the gate, most of those aerial enemies, apart from a couple of the larger ones, can be taken out in one hit with that. It goes a long way. But then you can also use that weapon on the ground-based enemies, too, and deal a pretty significant amount of damage to them before they even get close to you. It's an interesting balance. This is a good game that is very relaxing for me, but I am starting to get a little bit bored. So I suspect that there are more updates coming. I haven't bothered to look into it. I get the sense that there are little gaps to be filled. So I'll probably, you know, lay off of it a little bit now um, and see if something more comes. But I enjoyed what I've played and, and I'm happy to have done it. So yeah, yeah, Domekeeper's pretty good. Nice. Other stuff I played this week. I've got one I'm really interested to talk about. Um, so this is another Playdate game, uh, and it's called Core Fault. And the way that it's been pitched by its creators uh, is as an attempt to create a vampire survivors-like game for Playdate. Um, the game released, I think, like literally a week ago today. Like it's it's pretty recently released, and it has its problems. But it is pretty impressive for the ambition it has on the the piece of tech it's trying to run on. So, much like Vampire Survivors, you play as a character that is just constantly auto-attacking, uh, and the pattern in which you auto-attack is determined by the weapon you've chosen, and you sort of walk around trying not to get hit by enemies and trying to line up your attack pattern so that it hits enemies. It does have some of its own stuff going on, and some of it is to its its benefit, some is to its detriment. Tonally, I like what they've done with trying to give it its own um, different identity in terms of theming. You are playing as a little mining robot, and you're using the crank to point a direction that your mining robot will point, and they are constantly moving forward. It is sort of themed as you remotely controlling this mining robot and trying to sort of use the crank to sort of orient its movement position, which I think works really well. I think it is a fun control scheme. I think that the inability to, sta to stand still forces you to have a certain degree of uh, difference in how you think about that, that mobility and that 
can make some weapons more appealing and some weapons more challenging to use, because you have to factor in the fact you are moving to where your attacks are going to land. Also, instead of being big, endlessly scrolling levels, you are basically descending your way down through smaller self-contained levels. Basically, a bunch of enemies spawn in, you have to kill a certain number of those enemies to be able to drill down further and go down to the next floor, which sort of is clearly a constraint for like keeping in mind the limitations of the tech, uh, but it works well, it gives it its own identity, and it means that you're a lot more often sort of uh, fighting these creatures in smaller enclosed spaces with walls around you and less ability to do the sort of I'm eternally fleeing, like, attacking behind me thing. There is a system of permanent upgrades, again, much like Vampire Survivors, um, contextualised as each floor has sort of little piles of rock that you can see have ore deposits in them. They take some damage to destroy, but if you can destroy one of them, you get a little bit of permanent upgrade material for between runs. Um, which sort of helps incentivize sticking around on a floor sometimes even once you've defeated enough enemies to go down to the next floor, because there might still be permanent upgrade materials around to try and spend some time picking up. The way that leveling up and, and changing your build is handled is rather than like having an experience bar that fills, every time you complete a floor and go down to a new floor, you either get a new weapon or a new upgrade, and it alternates back and forth between the two. You'll be offered a weapon, then an upgrade, then a weapon, then an upgrade. One of the biggest places where this does differ from something like Vampire Survivors is that you are limited to how many weapons you can have on your loadout at any one time. Many of the initially available weapons in this have very clear analogues to Vampire Survivors. Things like you have a sort of static electricity field that acts very much like the garlic, you have a gun that will shoot a, a projectile forwards in the direction you're moving that's very much like the, the thrown daggers. You have a lot of these same sort of analogues, but you can only ever have three of them equipped at one time, and if you want to slot a different weapon in, you're going to have to get rid of something else from your loadout. One of the more interesting things I think it does with that idea is I've encountered at least one... I'm going to say weapon, because it can go in the weapon slot, it can go in, it will take up a slot that could be a weapon, but it is something non-combat related. It is an item that will cause these uh, ore deposits that can get you permanent upgrade materials to spawn behind you constantly, like every now and then as you're going around a level. It makes it easier to get more permanent upgrade materials, but you will be working with fewer damaging weapons in your loadout and obviously be at greater risk of being killed as a result. The last major change is that rather than having like a 30 minute timer, as is uh, Vampire Survivor's default, you've got a 10 minute one. It's 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 sort of contextualized as being like the, the amount of battery that this little mining, this cute little mining robot's got. Again, it feels a good fit for something like the Playdate that it's just like, this is a very quick get in, see how many levels you can get down, get out kind of experience. It's not perfect. It's it's got it's got some little problems. Some of the weapons definitely do not feel balanced correctly at launch for how long their cooldown is between firing and how much damage they do as a result. There is only one tile set of like this is the place you're going and these are the enemies you'll encounter as you go down. A little bit of lacking variety there, but there is a really solid base here for a thing that is 
very similar to, but not one-to-one with Vampire Survivors, and I am enjoying it as something else to scratch that itch that is technically not the same. It's nice to have something else to be playing around with. Um, I have my thoughts about, like, some of its mechanics aren't always explained terribly well. The developer does seem to be being pretty open to hearing feedback, and hopefully um, updates do happen over time. But it is a pretty interesting attempt at, like, trying to find something else to do in that space. It's an interesting little release. It's called Core Fault. What about you, Steph? What have you been playing? I want my play date. Where's my play date? It's not... I don't have my play date. You haven't sent it. I'm looking at the website and it just... Do you know what group you're in? What group number? Group four. They said they're sending group Group four four. out soon. And I just want it. I'm sorry. I played Fatal Frame. Mask of the Lunar Eclipse. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Which I intend to review. Uh, it is so. It's a Fatal Frame game. Don't know how familiar y'all are with yeah. those. Um, I, I know. A, I know a Fatal mm-hmm. Frame. I've heard started of them. on, I believe, like the PS2. It was that sort of era of, of survival horror. Um, its big gimmick is cameras that take photos of ghosts. Uh, these ghosts sort of float about, try and get you. You um, look through a camera in first-person mode and wait. Like, keep the camera trained on the ghosts to charge up a thing, to take a photo, to make them go, ow, stop it, like that. Um, and it's it's largely been that for decades, as near as I can tell. Um, you know, admittedly, I'm not... I never really got into Fatal Frame like I did with a lot of other horror games. But from what I've played in dribs and drabs over the years, it's more or less that which, as this game demonstrates, can only be so interesting. Like, after a while, it's just the same thing, and it's it's hard to stay scared by that, by the same-looking ghosts doing the same things. What's interesting about this one is it was originally a Wii game, and it fucking plays like something that was originally a Wii game. I'm trying to find the right words to describe the way it feels when it's not on the wing. But there is a certain way a game handles and moves even that is so inherent to the way. And that's what I get from this. The way the camera's angled over the character, the way they interact with things, it's thoroughbred Wii design, except put on the uh, the Switch and the uh, PlayStation, I think are the systems it's on. So it's been modernised a bit, Obviously, uh, you don't have a Wii remote, but there are some gyro controls on the Switch. When you go into first-person mode with the camera, you know you can use the sticks to look around, but you can also fine-aim it with the, the gyro, which is nice enough. But Christ. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I was going to point out the, the, the interesting quote-unquote history of it is it never was released outside of Japan. So that's sort of the big yeah. thing. Uh, yeah, so the, it, I, I, I checked it up. It's a 2008 Japan-exclusive yeah. Wii game. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the first time it's been released uh, in uh, North America or in Europe. Um, as a snapshot of the time, it's an interesting look back. As a game, 
fucking hell. It's so slow. That's the first thing. The characters, their walking speed is a joke. It's a shuffle at best. The running speed is slower than the walking speed in most games. They have a vague jogging-looking animation, but... Friend, they ain't jogging. Look, the, the Wii can only load in textures so fast. <laughs> um, but it was most telling, like, I'm, I'm sort of like four or five hours in at the time of talking, and they've introduced a ghost that can't be fought. Everything goes black and white, and it's coming after you, and you've just got to... I hesitate to use the word run away. But they don't speed up. They just continue to very slowly move which means of course the ghost very slowly move it's like the oj car chase slightly faster than that but still fucking slow and and it's almost parodied when you get to a door and remember you're supposed to be terrified there's a ghost coming after you and you just grab the door handle and hold it for a second and then slowly open it and look in, and then you can wander through it. Um, on top of how slow it is, it's 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 quiet, it's dull, it's unforgivable in its backtracking. Like like I say, I'm uh, five hours in, and I have seen two, maybe one new location that isn't the small hospital that it's set in. And so much of the time spent in that hospital is spent not being in new places in it. There are three or four playable characters, and most of them are in that hospital. And you just play them in it at different points in time. One of the most infuriating things was, after hours and hours, about three and a half, four hours into the game, I've been running backwards and forwards, sorry, I've been shambling backwards and forwards through these long, boring corridors in in these same dreary rooms. I finally reached a new place. I open this door and it's a whole new area. It's a whole new floor of the hospital. The chapter ends. I start with a new character. She's in the fucking hospital I've been wandering around in. It's on the same fucking floors I've been wandering around in for four fucking hours. It's almost bizarre how nothing this game's sense of environmental exploration is and just how much you are running backwards and forwards through the exact same corridors and doing multiple objectives in the exact same rooms so i like the game that's the thing (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i can't tell you why it's it's shit sometimes that's just how a game is it's shit and and there's nothing interesting happening either. The ghosts, once you've seen one, you've seen them all. The backstory is like, there's documents everywhere and they just keep describing the same events and the same backstory. Some girls disappeared at a festival. There is this disease called Moonlight Syndrome that makes characters forget themselves. And like a dozen documents you can pick up just re-explaining in different words what Moonlight Syndrome is. It's... I don't know why, I, why I'm why i enjoying it. Um, I'm going to have to work it out before I start writing, but it's... it's 
I couldn't recommend it. It's dreary as all hell. Um, the only thing that that interested me in any way was uh, one of the ghosts is a, a little girl who's a patient at the hospital who's been like abusing and, and bullying the nurses and things. Elements of that are genuinely creepy. Not super creepy, but there's a bit of an unsettling undercurrent to it. There's not enough of that, and you fight the ghost of the girl once, and then again in a really tiny room, because that's the only way this game is challenging, is when it puts you in a room that can't be any bigger than, like, five feet by five feet, and the ghost will just keep disappearing and coming through the walls as close as it can get to you. And that's the only way it's challenging, is when it's in really tight corridors and shit, because otherwise you just run very far away from them, turn round, and charge the camera up. So yeah, can't recommend it at all. I hate it, but I like it because of a reason? I guess it's something to do. But as I say, as a snapshot, it's interesting. A snapshot? Oh, I didn't even do that! (laughs) I'm accidentally clever. I mean, you did. I mean, you did yeah, do it. Yeah, accidentally clever. The best kind of, cl- the only oh. kind of clever I am. <laughs> Comrade, you played anything else this week? Um, I mean, I, I, I made a a game out of rolling my cigarettes. Ooh. I was. Mean, did you win? <laughs> there are no winners. Um. <laughs> On that note, I've got a couple of other oh, games please. to uh, quickly rattle through. Um. There's a there's a quick little playdate puzzle game that I played around with a bit called Generations. Um, it follows kind of thematically the template of stuff like Threes or Twenty Forty Eight, where you are trying to get things that match to combine down into a larger value, but um, there's only one of them now. The difference here is the theming and some of the mechanics, and I think it does enough to sort of differentiate itself as its own thing. You have a wall in a family home and a stack of photographs of uh, people of varying age brackets. So you've got, like, infants, toddlers, children, adults, old people, very old people. And to make sure you know exactly which one's which so there's no lack of clarity, the backgrounds of the pictures are all sort of shaded in different ways. So it's like, okay, that one's got a checkerboard background versus a cross-hatched or whatever. And you are basically trying to place three pictures on the wall that have the same age bracket that are all touching each other and then they will all combine down into one picture of the next age up the gameplay challenge there is that a whichever painting you put on the wall last of those three that are touching each other um orthogonally uh, and like makes a set that's where they will all combine to so you have to be thinking not just about can i get three of these down but Will that put a, a picture of the next uh, bracket up in a position where it's actually useful? Um, additionally, you don't have access to all of the spaces on this sort of grid-based wall uh, at all times. You can only go uh, a square or so away from existing uh, currently placed pictures on the wall. So in order to get access to as much of that space as possible, you need to be sort of building your way across the wall um, to give yourself access to more positions to put things in. And it is basically keep doing this little puzzle until you slip up and get to a point where, oops, the whole wall is full and nothing's combining down. 
it is a simple puzzle game, but it is one that, like, has really nice music, the art's lovely, and it does just enough to separate it out from those... Uh, the the numerically based versions of this game that usually have you sort of sliding things in directions to combine them, that it feels like its own thing, and it's it's well worth checking out. Um, the other one I started playing, and I've not put a lot of time into it, but I want to come back to this next week, is a game called Down the Oubliette. What a great name. Which is... I love that name. Yeah, right? Yeah, Down the Oubliette is a wonderful name. So this is a sort of top-down, grid-based dungeon exploration game where you are sort of like trying to dig your way and and sort of make your way through this sort of monster-filled cavern. And every now and then you'll sort of be like digging away some dirt to try and make progress and you'll uncover a little monster hole and some monsters will come out. The way you fight them is by setting up tower defense-style defenses in the level as you're going. So like, oops, some monsters got out. I've got to run backwards and like lead them through my tower defense maze that I made so that they all get killed and then I can start progressing forward again. And it is about careful consideration of where to set up little static defences without boxing yourself in so that when you uncover a little nest and more monsters come out, you can lead them through a route that's going to defeat them. Some of them have specific needs, specific types of weapons you need to use to defeat them. An early example I can think of is there's a ghost with a paper hat on. It's using to shield itself from, like, the light getting on it to dispel it. So you might have to set some fans up and turn the crank to, like, blow the paper hat off of the ghost so that you can shine the lights on it and make it uh, disperse. I'm not super far into it. The game doesn't do a great job of explaining its own mechanics. It sort of just throws you in to start playing around with it. And I initially sort of misunderstood a couple of its mechanics at first. But once I got my head around what it wanted... I really like the idea, and I am super interested to put more time into it and see where it goes. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a really neat little concept, and I am excited to put some more time into that one. Um, there we go, finally finished with Playdate Corner for this week. <laughs> yeah, it must be nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. You, you played any last thing, Steph? Uh, the only other thing I've been playing is Final Fantasy VII, but to be honest, come wait till next week. It's good. I don't know if you know that about Final Fantasy VII. (laughs) The original is quite good. I've heard. I've heard it's all right. Uh, In that case, I've got one more thing to quickly rattle through that I've started playing. Um, There is a game on Steam, I think it's just come to consoles, called Brock the Investigator, because he's an alligator who's an investigator. Oh, yeah, I've seen... uh... It's in that in uh, storefronts and stuff. Yeah, so this game is like half point-and-click adventure, half side-scrolling beat-em-up. And the reason why this sort of came to my attention is that this game's been out for a little while on PC, but has been given a pretty substantial update this week that added a lot of stuff designed to retrofit in accessibility options for specifically blind players. And I want to talk about this first, because I think that this game has done any really damn impressive job and not 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 a perfect job but a really damn impressive job of retrofitting really robust um blind player accessibility into a game that was not originally designed for it from adding in high contrast visuals for enemies to pretty damn good audio descriptions for the whole game that describe character appearances room layouts positions of things 
to 3D audio in combat so that like there is uh, options for hearing where enemies are through to differently designed puzzles that you can like if you're a blind player who is struggling with the default puzzles different puzzles that are more designed to be playable by blind players can be swapped into their places it is a really impressive showcase of what you can do with getting consultants in and particularly in adventure games as a genre like we know how to make adventure games like really really accessible to blind players and there's not much good excuse for someone who's making a high budget adventure like similar style adventure game today to not be considering these things when making their game originally that being said i have problems with the game itself as a video game there's a lot of times where i genuinely think that the art and the uh gameplay and the voice acting are all pretty charming but there are also moments in this that have made me really kind of want to pull my hair out as someone who is somewhat politically aware, in that there are a lot of moments in this game that feel well-intentioned in their writing, but like they kind of miss the point. And I'm going to talk to you about a very frustrating early scene in this game that I think like is the best example I can give of what has been just like occasionally happening. Right near the start of this game, your, your investigator alligator leaves his house, and there is a homeless man being harassed by two rats. You beat up the rats, which both of these rats have a name. They're only lo around long enough to like sh shout some mm. taunts, get beaten up and run away, but they both have names. And then you go talk to the homeless man who is being beaten up. There is quite a sensitively handled conversation to be had, but the game never names this character at all. He is simply referred to in your like maybe 10 minutes of conversation as Tramp. Mm, um, mm. And it's oh. and it's it it feels weirdly dehumanizing in a context where okay, so I know the names of both the nobodies who were beating you up, and we're having a conversation here where like this game's developer clearly understands concepts like a world that makes it illegal to be homeless while not providing any assistance to get people into homes who cannot afford to be in homes is a bad contradictory world that is punishing for people for things they cannot help. There's like basic level understanding of things like that sandwiched alongside I spoke with this character for 10 minutes and like there was not an option for me to ask oh hey what's your name or even just by default be told your name beyond tramp. Yeah that's awkward and the rats are they yeah. like significant to the plot later on like is, is there... um i mean if if they are i've not come across them again and but like even even if they do come up again it oh, still yeah. annoys me that like this character didn't get no a... i'm just trying to figure out like why those two got names and this one did not there's a lot of little things like this in this game that are like it will generally feel like it is made by someone with like their heart in the right place in terms of the critique they're trying to do of like a fictional dystopia with a class divide that is largely influenced by automation of jobs and the people that can afford the tools of automation versus those who won't. There is a lot of, like, you understand some stuff, but you keep making weird little choices that feel very much outside of the perspective of uh, people you're sometimes writing about. And it is an unfortunate caveat to have to give for a game that, like, most of the time I have been enjoying, and I do want to praise what it's doing accessibility-wise, even if it, just, a, just a couple too many times it has made me go, mm, mm, uh. 
I'm gonna try and stick with it and see whether like that evens out at all, but it's it's not made a great first impression in that regard. Mm. Which is a shame. That's all the stuff we played this week. Uh should we should we rattle through a couple of newsy bits? Why quick? not? Yeah. Let's do it. So we got a bunch of updates about Microsoft trying to buy Activision Blizzard. First of all, just after we recorded last week's uh, episode of Podquisition, Microsoft and Xbox started taking out full-page advertisements about their acquisition in major UK newspapers as an attempt to try and sway UK regulators. The adverts read, and I will sort of read you one of these, these, uh, these adverts, Call of Duty for 150 million more players. That's just one of our commitments upon approval to unite Activision Blizzard and Xbox. More games for more players on more platforms. Huh. And then just like a bunch of like Xbox controllers and uh, Call of Duty screenshots. Uh, and the this showed up in like several UK newspapers. I'm trying to find the list. In both the Daily Mail and I think more tellingly, the Financial Times. Mm-hmm. Which is, definitely feels like it's more explicitly targeting something that UK regulators might be reading. It feels really... uh, It feels really tacky adverts for like, hey, let us buy Call of Duty, we're definitely going to give it to so many people, let us have it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of cloying. These things can work from a a public sentiment and public pressure perspective sometimes. Um, Yeah. I I don't deny it. It seems like, a well, a lot of, we have another story in here that is, I think, uh, similarly silly when sort of viewed from yeah. uh, probably our perspective, but it doesn't smack of desperation necessarily, but determination. Like they're willing to make a big deal yeah. out of this because it is important to them. Now, I, 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 I still, again, I, I maintain that this truly feels to me like it's actually about King and Call of Duty is being, uh, to some extent, used as a distraction from that. Maybe, but, you know, it it is what it is in that regard. I'll put it this way. I would be interested to see if Facebook files a brief in the United States, right? If they have some opinion on this merger. That would be yeah. uh, the thing that would truly tell me. But... yeah. We, we've got a couple of other little things that sort of touch on this. Microsoft is really, really, really trying to lean into that messaging of we would make Call of Duty available in so many places to so many people, so it's definitely not a monopoly. And this week's big attempt at getting that messaging across, and I had to double check earlier today that this was two separate news stories and not the same news story twice. Microsoft is like going out of its way to promise to put Call of Duty on a bunch of cloud gaming platforms that you've never heard of. Because that's another place they can technically say uh, that's another place Call of Duty would be available. Yeah. The first of these was uh, Boosteroid. It is a Ukrainian cloud gaming platform that apparently has 4 million users. They're like, yep, uh, that, that's, that's another 4 million people we can put on the list of 4, more, 4 million more people can play Call of Duty if we do this. <laughs> Sorry, um, I just... For, for 10 years... Again, it's a 10-year deal. Only Once 10 again, years. Once again, I... I... I'm just freshly amused at how hard this has been for yeah. Microsoft and how desperate they are. It's good. Yeah. 
the other one that followed up today was a cloud streaming company called Ubitus. Ubitus is getting a 10-year deal to get Call of Duty. Oh, shit. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Brought, brought to them? The Ubitus. I, I'm not good with sarcasm. Of, I don't know how sarcastic Oh, really, really wrong. sarcastic. Sorry. Um, just just okay, for anyone... Okay, no, 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 that's fine. I was like, I was like, just in case I should know who yeah, this no, is. Yeah, uh, no, and just in case like <laughs> anyone um, also has that sort of issue with telling sarcasm from uh, literal um no very sarcastic <laughs> I, I i thought so no, but i yeah, thought absolutely. i should i should check and get before i stumbled into the story so first of all i was going to take the very sarcastic route of who the fuck is ubitus um because like on first glance ubitus uh, appears to be much more like business to business streaming focused they've got like 200 twitter followers Although, I think I've worked out why the Ubitus deal has occurred. I think I understand what it means. Uh, and I'm going to have to hop over to a different Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard King story here for, like, just a second. One of the big sticking points that's been listed by the UK's regulators uh, about this deal is, hey, Microsoft, it's great that you're saying you'll bring Call of Duty to Nintendo platforms for the next ten years. But, like, you haven't, like, Activision Blizzard haven't been bringing Call of Duty to Switch because of the power of that hardware. Are you sure that you can get Call of Duty running on Switch in a reasonable way? And initially, the, the story there was Microsoft being like, oh, no, yeah, no, no, we're, we're very confident that we can scale it and optimize it to run on Switch and that, you know, the engine it's developed in is, is great for scaling. I'm not so sure that's true. Ubitus, one of the few gaming-relating things they do, is they run all of those cloud versions for Switch. Mm. All of those cloud versions right. of Switch games for, like, next-gen consoles, they are run through Ubitus. So my gut little suspicion here is Microsoft isn't actually confident they can get Call of Duty running on the current Switch hardware, and has agreed to ten years of support for Ubitus as a cover their asses if it has to be cat cloud ports to switch that's smart like that that's yeah it's it is it's good to have a, a backup it's, plan and you know what's a 10-year deal putting your games on some platform you know i mean heck there there may be some some opportunity for them yeah. on switch generally beyond call of duty i, I agree but it also does feel like, it feels like potentially one of the first little mask slips of you're making promises you don't really know you can keep and working out how to keep them later as long as they please the regulators. I don't disagree with that, although I would be very cautious if I were them about this kind of move because... That just, it also kind of just says to me, well, Xbox Game Pass is now going to be the dominant subscription service in the space because mm. it can offer on so many more platforms. I don't know. Interesting. The other one, the, was it, the Bo Boosteroid? Love that name. I think that this is also pretty smart too. And we will probably hear about more of these small things. And I, yes, it, it feels funny. But I don't think it is funny. I, I think it's uh, 
canny on their part because this uh, is the capitalism breeds competition thing and they are trying they're basically incubating some additional competitors in the marketplace so that uh, they can continue to dominate over the ones that actually matter and I think the Boosteroid one in particular is an example of a thing that we're probably going to see a lot of going forward in the coming weeks which is is it technically a service that we could just say, hey, the PC version of Call of Duty, you're welcome to stream that to your streaming game players? That's a really easy thing for them to agree to. To have the appearance of, we are definitely not uh, a monopoly, without having to directly address, yeah, but the the question is whether PlayStation will have the kind of access that they did before the acquisition. Well, and the the for the smaller companies that are making these deals, it's a it's a big opportunity probably for yeah. them to get access to that. Yeah. And they will grow their audience probably significantly in proportion to their existing customer base. Whereas for Microsoft, they could give a shit less. Yeah. And the last bit of, of Microsoft ABK acquisition stuff on, on the on the list, uh, and then we've got a nice little light-hearted thing to finish up on today, but uh, we've had some more back and forth between Sony and Microsoft, uh, particularly to do with the UK regulators. Um, in some paperwork filings to the, the UK regulators, Sony said, like, hey, one of the reasons we don't want to agree to, like, 10 years of Call of Duty is, like, what we've been told is a very vague promise. We can see ways that Microsoft could technically fulfill what they've said, but, you know, still screw us over. Uh, the examples they listed being raising the price of Call of Duty on PlayStation, degrading the quality and performance on PlayStation compared to Xbox, degrading the game to ignore PlayStation-specific features, restricting, degrading, and not prioritizing investment in multiplayer on PlayStation, making the game available on a subscription service only on Game Pass. Some of the things they threw out were, like, some pretty wild uh, hypotheticals. Uh, One example, Microsoft might release a PlayStation version of Call of Duty where bugs and errors only emerge on the game's final level or after later updates. Um, (laughs) They will. Yeah, Basically, they're like they could they could patch in they could patch in bugs later. Yeah. To... Oh, oh no, no. I think <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yes, I suppose that that is uh, uh, possible. But I think um, it's it's more like they are describing every video game release ever. Like <laughs> that is how this works. Yeah, the way they're pitching it is basically like. Even if uh, Call of Duty was still technically on PlayStation, there are ways that you could make it so that people consistently get the impression the PlayStation version is worse. Why would I play that? Certainly. Um, That's not impossible. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yes, they they could give less of a shit about the PlayStation version. And maybe then Sony will stop fucking around with their weird architectures. And... Yeah. (laughs) Like... That that'd be nice. I'm not um, saying that this would be broadly yeah. good for the industry if PlayStation stopped doing that shit. But um, yeah, Microsoft's entire response to this is: we have agreed to have parity between Xbox and PlayStation. Yep that that seems. Yep. Yep. That about covers that's, it. That's yeah. that. 
Yep, that about covers it. We do have something nice to finish up on this week, though. In in a recurrent feature that happens every now and then in, uh, in the world, a real-world insect has been named after a Pokemon. Brilliant. Oh! This has happened before we've had, like, you know, bacteria named after Pikachu and stuff like that, but uh, there's a new species of cockroach that was found that has been named after the bug and fighting type Pokemon Pheromosa, uh, which if you've never seen it before, Pheromosa looks like a woman in an outfit you would wear to like uh, to like a fashion week show with a crown on and hair that is a big oval. I don't know how better to describe Pheromosa for anyone not seeing them, but there is a, a cockroach that has never been seen before that has like kind of similar big antennas. Yeah. And they're like, yep. I never want yep, to see it. I'm going to call this. I it, it's I'm terrified <laughs> of cockroaches. You don't have to have a look at it, but it's called the Noctocola Pheromosa. I do. I'm terrified. Obviously, I'm going to have to expose myself to this. <laughs> but yeah, it's got big antennas, sort of like this Pokemon. This this sort of lady Pokemon. So now they, there's there's just a little cockroach somewhere Ugh. in the world named after a Pokemon. <laughs> Did you did you go and look at it, even though you didn't? Yeah, want to? and I first did it by typing cockroach into Google, um, just to like what just the word just cockroach. to like look up the news section to like get it, which I got it. But before I did that, yeah. I had to get a bunch of image previews of just regular type cockroaches. I hate them. I lived in a place in Mississippi once that had a big basement that trapped a bunch of water in it, and it was a breeding ground for roaches and i am like it's my top one of scared of things and they would come up and skitter about and mm. well uh in for for what it's worth if this one's a pokemon hopefully people will capture all of these ones and trap them inside little containers and then you won't nice. have to deal that with them cockroach pokemon is weirdly hot you you see what I mean about like it's one of the ones where they were like, what if we tried to make a hot lady, but was a Pokemon, yeah. which is like a pretty recurrent theme. It's like if Lady Dimitrescu was a cockroach. It's what if Lady Dimitrescu had like an anti twin that was like it dressed all in white rather than all yeah. in black. So yeah, there you go. We ended. We we did it. We're done. We, we've escaped. God. Um. One thing that will never escape. Laura is what me? something. Uh, will I never escape? I started the <laughs> sentence off wrong. What I could have said was one thing you will never escape, Laura, is your impressive body of work. Um, oh. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, uh, you can find everything I do at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Uh, the the big ones. Every every Friday, I upload episodes of Access Ability over on YouTube. Um, I do a bunch of stuff across the internet. I do a Dungeons & Dragons podcast called Dice Funk. We've just started a new campaign, uh, Season 10. Completely doesn't rely on any existing knowledge of past seasons, so if you want to listen to some storytelling that's basically Star, Star Trek Dungeons & Dragons, go give that a listen. Uh, Patreon's the one that pays the bills. Patreon.com slash Laura K Buzz. As little as a dollar a month over there really helps. Uh, also, in terms of things to look forward to, I can't say much more other than 
I'm probably going to have another book out by the end of this year. My I found out today, so excellent. Look forward to another another book of some kind. Is I'm going to say like six to eight months away from happening, and you'll hear more about that soon. Um. Yeah. What about you? Where are you on the internet? What do you uh, do? You can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can hang out with me live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Uh, you can also listen to me on the podcast, Let's Talk About Snacks. And check out Red Planet, which is a weekly leftist podcast and streaming show that I produce uh with some really, really cool stuff. They they just did an episode this past week on Yellow Unions. Uh, with uh, Thought Slime. Uh, Yellow Unions are basically uh, organizations that aren't keeping the actual interests of the workers in mind that seek to collaborate with bosses or even were created by bosses. It's a fascinating history. It's a pretty good episode. You can find that wherever podcasts are. Uh, And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Hello. Uh, yes, patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, that is the Patreon there that supports this and the show and all of that. Um, I also live stream, allegedly. I've just, it's been a heck to get onto the live streams lately, but I do stream at twitch.tv slash jimsterling. Um, my current live wrestling appearances are uh, this Saturday is one of the biggest nights of my career. That's in Blackpool. Saturday, March 18th, Blackpool PCW. Um, That is the Women's Road to Glory tournament. Uh, March 25th, that's in Leeds. That's True Grit Wrestling, Commander Sterling versus Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. Um, The Manchester date that was in April, I'm actually not at that one. I'm at the June one. Um, But my next confirmed booking is May 18th. I will have other ones between then, but the, the next confirmed one is May 18th. After three years after Effie told me he simply must have me at an Effie's Big Gay Brunch, I'm at an Effie's Big Gay Brunch. So May oh 18th, gosh. right? May 18th, Liverpool. It's a city debut as well. This will be my first time in Liverpool. Uh, I'm part of the uh, Rainbow Rumble at Effie's Big Gay Brunch. Um, those are the confirms. Many more to come. Uh, until then... We will be back next week. Thank you so much for supporting um, everything we do here. Really appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.